I figured I'd start off, uh, many of you guys I've got to talk to, but some of you have not. Uh, my name is Isaac. This is my wife, Hope, in the front, and our six-month-old is the one crying in the other room. Um, his name is Fletcher. He's, he's a blessing to us. Um, my wife and I have been married for almost a year and a half. Um, two weeks after we got married, we found out that we were going to be having a baby. So that was, well, yeah, six weeks after we found out she was four weeks pregnant. So pretty quick. Wasn't the plan, but, you know, man plans his ways. Lord's direct their steps, I guess you can say. Um, and so we're, we're super blessed. We moved up here. I'm from uh, Yorba Linda, California in Orange County. Um, that's where I grew up. My wife is born in Sandy, Utah, and she grew up in Chino Hills, California, which is just over the hill from us. And so I grew up uh, 25 minutes from the beach, um, not by snow or in the mountains. So last week, I think it was two weeks ago, um, when they had that big snow, that was, uh, that was interesting. That was my first like kind of thrown in the fire thing. Um, so I grew up there. I grew up, I'm the oldest of four. My dad is a pastor of Calvary Chapel Saving Grace down there. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, and I was, uh, have a um, boring testimony, I guess you can say. I never did anything crazy. I did get expelled from school in third grade and was a little troublemaker. But um, the Lord protected me from many things. And when I was 15 years old, I gave my life to the Lord and made that my own commitment. And I started serving him. Um, and started teaching when I was 16 in our youth group, and the Lord really used that. And so, um, you know, we got the call uh, to move here about earlier this year in January. We felt like the Lord wanted us to bring us here. Gary asked us when he was leaving if we would like to go, and it was a week before we, Hope and I, got engaged. So I had other things on my mind at the time, I guess you can say. And, uh, you know, the Lord just really started working in, in my heart and Hope's heart, and we just felt the call that we needed to come up here and serve at Calvary Chapel Truckee. And so... We moved here October 1st, last month, and it's been an awesome month. It's been amazing getting to know everyone here, and you guys have blessed us and welcomed us in, um, helped us with our cars and um, bringing us snow shovels and um, uh, stuff for the windshield. I don't know what you call that, you know, the, the stuff for the windshield. Yeah, the scraper. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, still learning. Um, but we have been truly honored and really blessed and, and, and enjoy your guys' time. And so we're really really excited. And so, you know, my upbringing, of course, being in a, in a pastor's home, we were taught the word of God. We were taught the, the gospel. And uh, I got, uh, since today is a national day of prayer for the persecuted church, I've, I'm glad to say I've been to many of those places. I've been to Africa twice, been to South Asia. Um, I've been to Haiti and Peru and Mexico many times. And so we've been all over the world and been able to travel and see uh, and, and lead those people to the Lord who have never heard the gospel before. Going to places where you say, hey, do you know about Jesus? And they say, no, he probably lives in the next village over. You better go find out. And so places like that. And uh, so we were raised with this understanding of the need of the world with the gospel and the need as Christians to preach the gospel and to bring forth the word of God to not only our community, which is super important in our family, and to now my, my, my kid and to many others, but also to the rest of the world. And so today we're going to be learning about the Christian life is kind of what I titled it. You know, the Christian life, how we're supposed to be as Christians in this world and how we're supposed to live according to the word of God. You know, um, our foundation in Christ is super pivotal for the rest of our life. You know, if we have a wonky foundation or a, uh, a weird uh, beginning to our walk, it, it, it makes a difference for the rest of our life. But if we're founded on the word of God and we're propelled into Jesus Christ early on, um, we're able to start at the right spot. You know, and this is a perfect analogy, and we're going to be talking about the kind of the building blocks of Christianity today. 
you know, and we're, as we're getting ready to expand out. Uh, it reminded me, when I was four years old, my parents bought our, our home. And we're, it was kind of on the side of the hill. And uh, the house was kind of splitting a little bit and it had cracks in the walls. And my dad's a construction guy. He's a brick mason and a carpenter. And, um, you know, we, we noticed, and well, my parents noticed that this was happening. So my dad dug through the foundation. There was no rebar. It's just they laid cement, a slab of cement, and that was it. And so there's nothing holding it up. It's just falling apart. So what they did is they dug a hole through the middle of the house and reinforced it. And then, and, then, and then put the cement back in, and now the house hasn't moved since then, so we're really lucky. Everyone in our, in our neighborhood has spent tons of money just to, to fix that house, but that house had an issue because the builders at the beginning didn't build it on the right foundation, and because th- that things were cracked and things were having issues. You know, if our foundation is ourselves, or our own beliefs, or our family's beliefs, that's not going to last. Our foundation needs to be the Word of God and, and Christ. And so, you know, um, maybe you're in here and you're like, you know, I didn't have that foundation. I kind of figured out Christianity as I walked with God. Well, that's okay. You know, sometimes the Lord needs to, to show us, the, I guess we could say the hard way, you know, sometimes. Um, you know, my, my best friend, he is a HVAC technician. And so he goes into attics and where in Southern California, it can get over 100 degrees. And he goes in the attics and he, uh, you know, puts new uh, ducts in and, and fans and things like that. And so... A couple summers ago, we were redoing our roof. Our roof was in a bad mess, so we basically ripped the whole roof apart. And while we did that, um, my friend, my dad realized, okay, this is 50 years old, whatever is going on up here. Let's replace all the AC ducts and all this stuff. So my friend came in and replaced it. Now, that made it a lot easier for him with no roof on it, right? He can just walk around. He can do this and do that instead of being in a three-foot attic where he's crawling and doing some things. So... What that said is the Lord can sometimes rip apart things out of our life to fix something that's, that needs to be fixed, right? And so what I want us to learn is I want us to learn not the hard way of, of Christianity, not the hard way of going through trials and it being open and, and difficult, which we might have, but to learn the way God designed it to be for us to walk with him and to be obedient with him. So let's start up in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter here is starting off this book. This book is believed to be written um, at the most maybe a year or so before Peter is beheaded in Rome uh, with uh, Emperor Nero there. And... Um, He's saying here, I am a bond servant of God, or a bond slave of God. And I'm here to exist to serve you guys. I'm here as in, to exist to serve God, not myself. Now, this is the key to the whole passage. And this is the key, honestly, to our Christianity. If we come into this walk with God, no matter how long you've been saved, or if you're not a believer yet, um, I pray that you, you become a believer today, but... Um, for those of us who've been walking with God for some time, we understand that we need to be first servants of the Lord before we serve ourselves. Before I serve my wife and my son, I must serve the Lord, right? And obviously by serving the Lord, he asked me to serve my wife and my son and the church and our family, right? And that's a part of it. But we must be servants of God. And so he's writing to Christians here. 
And it says, who have obtained like precious faith. Do you guys know the faith that we have in Jesus is precious? It's something desirable. It's called good news, right? For a reason. And it's something that we have that is awesome. And it says that we might uh, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this faith is obtained not through our own righteousness, because if it was, it would be awful and terrible, because we are not righteous before God, right? But it's obtained through His righteousness, which He's given us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the sacrifice that Jesus is uh, using as an example for us, as we become Christians, as we serve him, we are to pick up our cross and follow him. As Paul, as Paul says, we're to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I, live, I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who's loved me, right? And so he did this so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might, in other words, have a right standing before the Lord. Now, I know many of us know this. But this is so important to the foundation of our Christianity. And Peter repeats it here for this. And then he goes on for this basic reading that we hear a lot in the New Testament, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, you know, grace is often referred to as um, getting what you don't deserve, right? Another definition you could say is it's an undeserved gift at God's expense. You know, it was God who made the sacrifice to send his son for us. To leave heaven, the glory of heaven, to come to earth. And then it says this. Grace and peace, which of course you can't have peace without the grace of God. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the key to the rest of this passage. The knowledge of God. Right? The knowledge of God. Now this word, and I have it on the, on the slide for you guys. Um, in, in Greek is epigenosis. Okay? And a uh, very, very big word. But all it means is it's this full and experiential knowledge of God, okay? It's based on our experience with Christ. It's based on the word of God, through prayer, through coming to church, to sharing the gospel, to serving other people. It all encompasses this knowledge of God. So we can be people who love the word and never share the gospel, and we won't have a full knowledge of God. We could be people who share the gospel but don't have a devotion life and not have a full knowledge of God. We could be people who never serve other people and read and pray every single day. Guess what? You're not going to have a full knowledge of God. And this is what Peter is saying here. And this is the key to, again, the Christian life. The reason why we are here at church today is because we have a knowledge of God. We know that he died on the cross for our sins. And in response, because of that love he had for me, I love him and I want to get to know him more. So I, we come to church, we learn about him, we come to life group, we come to prayer on Saturday, we do the women's and men's Bible study, we do young adults and youth, whatever it is that you're a part of, we do those things so that we can know God more, you know? I, you know, I've been, only been married for a year and a half or so, okay? It, it, it's pretty easy for me to understand. If I want to get to know my wife more, I need to talk to her and have conversation with her, right? I can't just, hello, pass by in the house and have a relationship with my wife. That's not going to work. I have to take her out on dates, we have to talk to hang out, and, you know, and we're still, you know, getting to know each other as life goes on, right? And it's just the same thing with our walk with the Lord. You know, we have to talk with him. We have to have a relationship with him. We can't just go through our life 
living the American dream, forgetting God, and just trying to do whatever we want to do. We have to get to know the Lord. So as we continue here, verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, you have been given, uh, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that though um, these you may partake of the divine, that through these you may partake, be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? So again, that source of that divine knowledge, that source of that power, is, or the source of it is his divine power, it says here. His divine power, it says, that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness, okay? Now, if we really think about this, and I know we know this, but it's always good to remember, what has that divine power done in the past? Well, spoken galaxies into existence, you know? Created a baby in a mother's womb, formed us before the foundations of the world. He knew us, created the plants and the trees and the rivers and everything, this is what this divine power is about. This divine power has raised Jesus from the dead. You know, this divine power fills our hearts and is with us. So this is, this is what I'm saying here. It's not just this little thing that's in us. It's this God Almighty lives inside of us Christians. God himself is, is a part of us. So here's what's awesome about this passage, though. It's sharing here that the thing about the Christian life is your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your age, right? You can be 80 years old in this room and be a baby Christian. You can be 20 years old in this room and walk with God a long time and be a wise and mature Christian, right? You think about this. You think of Solomon, right? The wisest man in all the world. What happened? He got caught up in the cares of this world, the lust of women and money. And at the end of his life, he writes in Ecclesiastes, it's vanity, right? But he was this man of wisdom and all these things. And as he got older, and then we believe at the end of his life, he came back to the Lord. But someone who, who lived so long, and it took forever to finally come back to the Lord, and was the wisest man in the world, but didn't follow God most of his life. So what is that? He said, it's vanity. It's nothing. It means nothing. And then you think of people like Daniel, who's believed to be about 15 or 16 years old when he's taken into cap captivity and interpreting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, right? And saying, hey, I'm not going to eat the king's delicacies because it's unclean. It's not what God called us to do. And they'd, be, and they'd be rewarded from this. And just this boldness at 15 years old. You think of Samuel, right? When the Lord called him, he says, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes into Eli. Remember, here I am. He's like, I haven't called you. And this happens a couple times. It's believed to be he's about 10, 11, 12 years old this time when the Lord calls him. And of course, it's soon after that he's realized to be a prophet in the land of Israel. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord. You can always grow in your spiritual walk. And you always have to, as we, as we say, um, you know, uh, practice those things in Christianity to get better. Now, another thing about me, I played college basketball. Uh, I'm about 6'5", um, so I, I, I figured I might as well use it for something. Um, so I decided to throw a round ball into a round hoop. And that was my life for most of my life. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Now, here's the thing. When you're playing basketball, especially at a, at a college level, you train a lot, okay? You practice. You use the weight room. You watch what you eat. You do all these things, right, to train to be good at your sport. Now, here's the thing. I could practice shooting, but if I practice shooting the wrong way, it's going to do nothing for me. I'm just, I'm not going to get any better. I can play all I want, 
but if I play the incorrect way, don't use the proper things, I'm not going to get any better. It's when I have intentional practice, when I'm working on my mechanics or this or that, that's how I'm going to grow in my walk with the Lord, or in my game in basketball. And the same thing when it comes to our walk with God. We have to be intentional. We have to be doing things um, the right way, following God's plan from his word and it, uh, to be able to grow. Here's what's awesome about Christianity, okay? You can grow as much as you want to grow. It's up to you, you know? It's completely up to you. Um, and the secret is using God's divine power, okay? That's why Paul in Philippians 4.13 says what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. That word strengthen literally means in the context for God to put his power into you, okay? So Paul is saying, hey, I can do all these things. And before that, he says, I, I learned to be a base. I learned to be full. I learned to be, um, have a home and not have a home. He says all these things, but I can do all things through Christ who puts his divine power into me. We can do all those things through Christ. We can do all things that pertain to life and godliness if we have his divine power. Now, here's the thing that you need with power. You also need promises. You see in verse 4, he says, by which he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. I like to think about it like this. If I were to walk up to you and hand you a check for a million dollars today, you might be really excited until you go to the bank and you cash it. All right, what's going to happen? Banker's going to go, um, yeah, this dude does not have a million dollars, not even close. This check means nothing, right? I might have the promise of the check, right? But I don't have the power to fulfill the promise. Now, I know, you know, or we see many people in this world who are able to fulfill that promise, right? Um, but God is able to have the power to say something's going to happen with the promise behind it that it will happen as well. That's the important thing here. So God has the power to change your life with his promises. It's up to you to cash the check. So this is our role. This is where we get the idea of the sovereignty of God and free will and how does all that work. I mean, we're not going to go through that today, but this is the idea. You have to open your Bible and read it, right? You have to get in your knees in your room and, and pray. You have to share the gospel and get out and tell people about the Lord. You have to live your life as a Christian, you know? God's just not going to make you a puppet to do whatever you want, he wants you to do, Right? He's going to give you the power to do it. It's up to you to be able to go out and to, to cash that check to do that. Now, you can always tell, for me, I can always tell a, a mature believer by the way they treat God's promises, okay? And this happens to all of us. Many a times, we can get fearful and anxious about certain things. But a mature believer does not get fearful and, and anxious about certain things, right? A mature believer is confident and calm, not because of their own doing, because, but because of the divine power they have from God inside of them, right? And we have to remember, no matter what comes, God's divine power is there, okay? So, the promises here is speaking of uh, partaking in the divine nature. This is the promise that Peter is speaking about here, okay? And then it finishes with this. Um, being partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, Okay? The reason we, we do this, the reason why we cast a check, the reason why we uh, believe in his divine power and his precious promises is because we want to escape the corruption in this world. And we need God, God's um, divine power to change our desires, right? All of us in here, as many, many, maybe many of you didn't walk with God for a long time in your life, you can remember your, your desires were very different before you were a Christian than they are now, right? You know, 
very different, you know. The idea of going to church was crazy to you and your friends, right? The idea of you reading your Bible in the morning is so crazy. But remember what God has done to you. He's changed your desires. He's changed your walk. He's changed, changed your whole life because he's given you his divine power to desire other things. This only way to avoid temptation in this world is to allow his divine power to work in you. And guess what? The world's not getting any better, right? We can see that every single day. The world's getting worse and worse around us, but we have a rock and anchor that stays the same forever. Verse 5 says this, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to ver- perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. These are the building blocks we're talking about. These are the things that Peter picks out here. Remember, he's, this is laugh letter. It's like his deathbed words, right? Saying these are what's important for us to grow. And just like anything, you and I must be willing to grow. Like we said, we must be willing to cash the check. Now we see here it says giving all diligence. This is the idea of making every possible effort or exerting yourself, right? Um, this is not talking about salvation, though. This is not working your, working your way for salvation. This is not what this is talking about. This is talking about sanctification, the process of being sanctified by God. If you remember um, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, at the end of it says, at the end of verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, trembling, okay? Which sounds weird, right? But listen to this next part. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, all right? So it's his divine power that's working out your salvation, and it's up to you to be willing to be sanctified by him. And this is the same context this passage is talking about, okay? So God works in you with his promise. You must work out your own sanctification. Just like we read in James chapter 2, verse 17. Many of us have heard this, right? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works, right? So the idea is, of course, works isn't saving us. But it's the evidence of our faith. It's evidence of Jesus Christ being in us. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit stirring in us to do good things, to be servants of the Lord, to obey him. It's kind of like this. You're, in, you're at a doctor's office and you're getting surgery, okay? You're not asking the doctor, hey, hand me a scalpel. I want to work on this side. You work on this side, right? That's not what's happening, right? No, you're, the doctor's doing the surgery, Okay. Let's say, I'm, again, I'm a sports guy. Many sports injuries involve like ACLs or, you know, hamstring tears or sprained ankles or broken something, you know, usually with your legs for me. And, uh, you know, the doctor's job is to fix that, to correct the bones, to, to give you, you know, um, a cast or to, to do the surgery, to put everything back together, right? It's your job to take the medication and to do the rehab, right? The doctor can't do that for you. It's up to you to literally take the medication and dig it off your butt and to do the work to get it stronger again. And this is the same idea here. So then we see after this, add to your faith. Well, you might be asking, and this is what I, what I like to ask. So what does it mean to add to our faith? Isn't Jesus enough? Well, yeah, of course he is. Why do we need to add to our faith? Okay, well, think about it like this. Um, think about it with food. Plain food 
is good. It's not that bad. I don't mind plain food, like bread and potatoes and meat or something like that. Let's just say that. That's what I think of plain. If that offends you, I'm sorry. You know. But, you know, you have plain food, right? It's good. It fulfills you. It satisfies you. But how much better is it when you add season and when you do this and, and you add butter to the steak or you, you cook it this certain way and it's like this? It's so much better. My wife and I, for our one-year anniversary, the first time we went to, like, a really nice restaurant and we got steak and lobster because, like, we had a nice restaurant and that's, like, what we're told to get. And it was the best food I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. It was so good. And it's because someone added that flavor. This gives you, and this is, this is a silly analogy, but it kind of gives you the idea of your life. God wants to give you more so that you can enjoy life more, right? And the blessing is you don't, you don't become overweight from eating all that stuff, right? The blessing is you get full in the Lord and satisfied in Jesus more and more. And he wants us to, to have that, right? So, Adding to our faith. Matthew 13, verse 8, is speaking about the parable of the sower. And uh, Jesus finishes up the parable by saying, But others, speaking of the seed that is produced, right, fell on good ground and yielded crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, growing up, I've shared this at a couple uh, prayer meetings, but my mom would always tell us, Hey, don't sign up for the thirty. Don't sign up for the sixty. You want everything that God wants to give you. You want him to give you the measure of anything that he wants to have. Don't be content with just the bare minimum, which is awesome. There's no one saying that's wrong, right? But God wants to give you so much more in your Christian life. We want a hundredfold of what we have. So this is this idea here, adding to your faith. We want more of what God has for us. And then it gets, goes on the list. It says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is this idea of moral excellence, okay? Moral excellence. Now, the word excellence is talking about fulfilling the purpose of something that was made, okay? So something that was made. This piano was made to be played, right? And Sandy plays it with excellence, in my opinion. I, li I like your piano playing, Sandy. It's very good, right? I think so. But that's the whole point of the piano. Now, if I went to go sit on the piano, it would not be excellent, right? I could play, like, the chopsticks one, you know? I don't know what it is. Like, the little kids one. I don't know how to do it. But that's the idea of this moral excellence. So God has made us. It's our job to fulfill the purpose of why we were made. Okay? And as Christians, we instantly know this. We read it in verse 1. We're made to be servants of Jesus Christ and to share his gospel, right? And then it goes on to virtue, knowledge. This is our word again, epigenosis. An expert knowledge, a full knowledge, or a practical knowledge. This idea of the whole counsel of God being in prayer and the word in church, Right? And then it says to add to knowledge self-control, okay? The idea of to hold oneself together. Um, it's, the idea used here is spoken of an, uh, a, an ancient athlete, like an Olympian, who controls their eating habits so they may perform better in a race. This is the context here, okay? To self-control perseverance, okay? Perseverance is to bear up under a trial, okay? To, to help someone through a trial, Perseverance is this idea of continuing to go through the hard times, continue to, to go through even when it's tough. And then to perseverance, godliness, okay? This is God-likeness, pretty easy, right? It's being right with God, and therefore you're going to be right with others. So being right with the Lord. And then from there it says brotherly kindness. This is the Greek word Philadelphia or phileo. And if you know anything about the city of Philadelphia, it's known as a city of brotherly love. 
This is that kind of love. It's the, it's the love that a brother or a sister has for one another, right? And then it goes on to say, and the brotherly kindness, love. And this is the love that we love as Christians, this agape love, this sacrificial love. It's the love that Jesus displayed on the cross for us as he hung there, burying our sins while shedding his blood for us. Now, each one of these lead to the other. If you're fulfilling your purpose as a Christian, being virtuous, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, as the Bible says. Then, therefore, you're going to know the knowledge of God. Because a part of being a Christian is knowing God, having that relationship, right? And then through knowing God, you're going to learn how to have self-control. And through having self-control, you're going to learn to persevere, Remember James chapter 1, if you guys remember, it says you may find joy in the midst of trials, which is like people in the world are like, what are you talking about? You know, this person just died or this thing just happened. Well, through Christ Jesus, it's joy in the trials because we know it's working all things together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, right? And so if we have self-control and we have that perseverance, that bearing up under a trial through God's divine power, we have the godliness being like Jesus, being like God, and being right with God, and therefore being right with others. And then because of that, we have brotherly kindness. We love one another. We take care of each other. We serve each other. And then not only brotherly kindness, that phileo brotherly love, but that agape love, that sacrificial love. Hey, you know, I know this is a burden on me, but I do it because I love you. You know, I know this is hard for me, but I'm going to do it because I love you. The idea here is this. Is it in reality, are we going to fulfill all these things on earth? No, we're not. Because we're sinful and we have a sinful nature, right? But the idea is we're always building our faith with growth in mind. You know, I'm only 24 years old, right? And I've only been a Christian for nine years, right? And there's people in this room who have been Christian many, many years. No matter how young or how old we are, we're all growing in our faith towards Jesus. Because we're not done until we see him face to face in eternity. We're never done growing in our faith. Then it says this in verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is having so much that you overflow. This is that word abound. Having so much that you overflow. As long as we are here, we are always expanding our walk with God. A friend of mine shared this analogy with me one time, and I, and I think it's true, and I really like it. You know, the Christian life, as we always talk about this life in this world, is always an uphill battle. It's like we're climbing a mountain. You know, you can think about it like we're climbing a mountain. And, and at the top of the mountain is the Lord. And of course, there's people who are struggling. And you know, it's the idea where you get backsliders, people going the other way. Well, I, my friend told me this one time, and it, and it rings true, and, it's, and you can see in scriptures. The idea, if you're a Christian and you're just standing still on this steep mountain, guess what? You're going backwards. You're sliding backwards. There's no, there's no way as a Christian that you can just stand still in your walk with the Lord. That's not possible. The only way that you can serve the Lord is you're either going towards him or you're going away from him, right? And as Christians, our job is to be going to uphill battle and serving the Lord. Yes, there's going to be trials, there's going to be hardships, but as we learned his divine power that's in us is going to give us the ability to be able to understand and to push through and to go through all those, all those um, trials. When we build our life with growth in mind, we will never be going backwards or being unproductive, right? 
The words here, you see barren and unfruitful. The word barren is mean idle or stopped working. Unfruitful is simply not producing, right? This goes back to the idea of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit that's going to abound to your account? Now listen to this. Many of us know this. John 15, verse 4 says this. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, one of the awesome things about the Bible is um, these parables are really cool. And if you understand the historical context, it's really awesome. At this time, Jesus, is, this is verse, chapters uh, 13 through 17, Jesus is given this big discourse, okay? It's a lot of meaty theology we get in there. And he's walking through Jerusalem. And it's believed at this time they're walking past the temple. And on the temple were all these vines that were climbing over against the outside wall. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, I'm the vine. You are the branches, right? Jesus is the power source. God is the power source that helps us to overflow. Now, the power and the promise from the vine will help produce refreshing fruit for others in your life, right? It's an overflow. Now, we produce fruit for other people. If you think about it, that makes sense, right? It blesses us, but it's for other people. A tree doesn't produce fruit to then eat it itself, tree doesn't just wake up, oh, sweet apple, eat it. No, that's not what a tree does. The tree produces for others. That's how we're supposed to be as Christians, is we're producing fruit for the sake of other people. No matter what that may look like, that may look different for other people. You know, some people, just being, just being a mom, taking care of your kids. Some, some people, like, you know, me, working hard and, and providing for your family or, you know, um, helping out uh, people who need it, you know, going to people's house, delivering food, whatever it may be. We must be producing fruit. And this brings up something here that um, I think is really important. You know, I think there's, there's three kinds of faith we see in this world. Three kinds of faith. We have faulty faith or fake faith. This is the idea that someone says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, but never goes to church, never reads their Bible, never prays, whatever. Just as Christian by name. I had a friend at work um, a couple weeks ago. You know, I, 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 said, uh, I said something... He goes, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. So, and then it went into something where he's like, well, yeah, I think, I think Jesus is, is good. I think he's a good guy. I think he's helpful for people. And I was like, that's great. You know, the Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. So if you say, I believe, and yeah, it's cool, and do nothing with it, you're just the same as Satan and his demons, right? That's pretty scary. That's pretty serious. And that's in James chapter 2, right after that passage um, that we read earlier. So we have faulty faith or fake faith. Then we have firm faith, which I think a lot of us in here would have. This genuine faith that we believe in the saving love of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, right? And this is something that I think me, myself, I need to grow in, and we can all do as as Christians. And this is the continual process of growing, is flowing faith. It's productive, producing faith, things that produce um, fruit for the Lord. John chapter 7, verse 37 says this. Jesus stands up and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is so comforting to me. That the idea that in my life as a Christian, I could bring forth living water for others' people. Not through, again, myself, but through his divine power working in me. 
I always have to think about the times before I was before we were saved too, right? Like when you first heard the gospel, when Jesus first invaded you in your life, how awesome was that? And I think we forget that sometimes. It's always good to remember, man, I was completely dead. And he awakened me and turned me around to the other direction. I started walking towards him. And he produced this, all this stuff in me. Now, with this is this idea of we don't want to be a gulper, but we want to be a refresher. We don't want to sit in church like this, which is good, and just receive and be lazy, fat Christians. That's not what we're called to be. Now, awesome, receive the Lord, serve him, but then as we receive, we're giving it right back out to the world, right? We're producing something. We're refreshing people, whether it be our family or friends or the world around us. And the only way that uh, it, it, comes, it all comes down to the knowledge of God, ready? Be neither barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why we struggle in life, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in this world? Why is this happening? It's because we don't understand the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Many of us in here are aware, hey, bad things are happening because Jesus is coming back soon, right? These things are happening for a purpose. I know this is going to happen. You know, I, 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 um, you know, Pastor John MacArthur is a guy, I like a lot of his commentaries. He talks about, he's like, I'm not surprised when people sin anymore. Because it's not surprising. If they're lost and broken people, why does it surprise me if I hear about this terrible story of, you know, whatever it may be, I'm not surprised because the world's lost and dying in darkness. And that's how we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be Christians who recognize, hey, not to be anxious or sad or depressed over that, but to have an understanding, oh, God, this is a part of your will, and help me to have compassion on these people like you did. Verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I am like this a lot. And I think many of us are in here. Whenever we get in the flesh, we're not thinking about Jesus on the cross, are we? We're not thinking about his blood that was shed for us. We're thinking about many other things. It's this idea as if like you're walking down a road and instead of trying to find the right way, you're like squinting and you're trying to make your way through the road when you can just open your eyes and see. Or like if you're going in and you're getting, let's say you have really bad eyesight and you go get LASIK surgery or you get new glasses and the glasses you get make it even worse. And you're like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And you just go about your day and spend a ton of money for nothing, right? Or you get LASIK and, and they're like, oh, just fix this part of my eye. Everything else is fine. I don't mind not seeing this over here, you know? It's like, no, you want to be able to see everything, see the full counsel of God and see everything by living through the knowledge of him. It's when we forget these things that we're blind and we're short-sighted and we forget that we're cleansed of our own sins. We forget what Jesus has done for us. That's what these things are that Peter's talking about here. <clears throat> Jesus, when he saved us, took the blinders off our lives, our our. our our life, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch was me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, right? We were blind, we were lost in darkness, and Jesus opened our eyes for the, for the first time remembering what he's done for us. This word forgotten here, we have to remember who we're engaged to. Forgotten, are you forgetting who you're engaged to? Jesus, that's what a steady believer remembers. That's what a mature Christian, one who's growing towards Jesus Christ, remembers. Hey, man, I'm engaged to Jesus Christ. I'm his bride. 
you know, the church, guys, we're his bride. We're his people. We're going to be with him one day. And that's what we're striving for. But he's got more work for us to do on earth. That's why we're here. That's why we're still here. We have to remember what Jesus did for us. And I think we get that mixed up sometimes, you know. And I think many times, like in my own life, like I commit adultery with Jesus, with my sin and the things that I desire, right? Things I would never do to my wife. And is that saying I love my wife more than the Lord? No, I love my, my wife a lot. I'm faithful to my wife. I want to serve her. I'm not perfect, but I, I want to, I'm striving to be, right? We try to get better. And, but I want to have a love, even greater love towards Jesus, just a, compa- a passionate, overflowing love for the Lord towards Jesus like he has for me. His passionate love that he died on the cross for me, rose again, and chose to live in me and give me this love letter, which is the Bible. It's a love letter to us from the Lord. And as we do this, though, we have heaven in our mind, just like a bride, as she plans for her wedding day, has the wedding day in mind. I just went through this wedding planning not too long ago. It's stressful. It's hard sometimes. It's very frustrating as it can be. But it's all for the purpose of that one moment where you become husband and wife, you know, for the ceremony that lasts maybe 20 minutes, months and months and months and months in planning, right? That's how it is with this life. Our life is just planning for that day when we get to join Jesus as our Lord. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. Um, let's, read, let's read on. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, if you read that as a critical Bible scholar, you go, that's impossible. To never stumble ever in my life. Okay? Yeah, Peter's not saying it's possible. He's saying, hey, if you do all these things in your life, you're never going to stumble. This is why we strive for these things. And of course, we're never going to reach that until we get to the Lord. But it doesn't mean that we don't strive for those things and we don't go after the Lord and pursue the things of God. And it takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hardship. Now, you might be asking, this is too much. This is not worth it. There's, Isaac, you have no idea what I've had to go through in my life. It's been so hard and so difficult. You're right, I probably don't. But I know someone who does. And all things he was tempted just like we we were. Hebrews 4 tells us about Jesus. Jesus is worth it. He's absolutely worth it. We have to remember that as we're serving him and we're going through trials, who we're doing it for. Pastor Chuck would always say, he was the founder of Calvary Chapel, he would always say, you know, he was struggling with something, and he's serving these people. And, and God spoke to him and said, whose church is it, Chuck? He goes, it's your church, Lord. He go, then just serve me. You're doing this not for people. You're doing this for me. And it helped him with his, his, his focus on the things that he needed to do. We need to focus. I'm not serving my wife because she's hope in my wife. That's a part of it. But I'm serving her because God's called me to do, do that, and I, and I love her right? I'm serving you guys. We're serving each other because of what God has done for us. Our calling and our election, each and every one of us has a calling. And we're chosen in Christ Jesus for such a time as this. You are here at this time in the world for a purpose. Verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
this idea of this abundant entrance or abundantly is this idea of an Olympian returning home from a victory back then in Greece or whatever, returning to his town and a crowd of people in his town welcome him, you know? You see this many times when sports, when they return home from a championship, the cities are away and they do parades and all this stuff. The only thing I can remember is when I was in high school, I hit a couple, a couple buzzer beaters, which that means is we were losing, I made a shot, we won the game, and time expired. And people would storm the court, and it was awesome, it was super fun, right? And this idea of when we get to heaven, we're going to get to heaven, or is it going to be like, dude, you barely made it. Like, you were just this close. I mean, me and Peter were making bets. I don't know. We were trying to decide this. Or is it going to be like, you know, yeah, dude, we were waiting for you. Let's go get in here. This is awesome, right? And I say this. Do you guys know that some of us will get a more glorious entrance than others? This is interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you can turn there with me, and we're going to finish it up really soon here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 this is talking about like our works before the Lord. It says this. I'm going to start in verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ, right? Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, and the day, speaking of the day, the judgment day when we come before the Lord, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort, is it, sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. That idea, there's another translation that talks about saved, like barely escaped through the fire. Like you just barely made it. You barely hang on. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just barely make it. I don't want to be clawing in by the skin of, like, you know, by the, by the, by the, the skin of, I don't know this phrase. Uh, yeah, is that how I say it? Yeah, that's a weird phrase. Think about it. Um, but I don't, I don't want to just barely making it, right? I want to be walking in confident knowing, man, I served the Lord and I obeyed him and I was obedient to him. Now listen, I'm not saying this. The salvation of the Lord is sufficient, Right? I don't care. You know, many of us here are like, I don't care how we get in, just as long as I get in, right? Um, but what kind of entrance do you want? What kind of rewards do you want? Those are important. Those are important to the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to get here in uh, two years in our study in Matthew. So we're in, are we in 19 right now? Yeah, we just started 19. It's a joke. If, if you're not coming here, we take a long time to go through stuff. But it's good. It's really good. Matthew 25, verse, verse uh, um, 14. I'm going to read this. This is the parable of the talents. And this is this idea of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, when the Bible says for the kingdom of heaven is like, it means this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right? It's common sense. Right? This is what, this is what heaven's going to be like. It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid it and hid the Lord's money. 
After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So when he had received five talents, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with, with the bankers. And my coming, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. This is the key. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be need, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the warning, guys. Matthew 7, which you guys have gone through, again, probably like three years ago at this point. Um, Matthew 7 t- says, talks about in 7, 21 through 23, where the people come to the Lord, and they say, Lord, Lord, and he says this, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. This is the scary part. They respond with, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do signs and wonders in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. There are people in the church today that think they're walking with God and doing the things for the Lord, and they're really doing it for themselves. They think that they can just get away with this or get away with that, and when Judgment Day comes, they're not going to be able to hear those words enter into the joy of their Lord. Some of us have been given ten talents. Some of us has given five, some two, whatever. Whatever God has given you, make the most of what you have with it. Not all of us are called to be Billy Graham and Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith. You know, not all of us are called to do that. Not all of us are called to be Hudson Taylor and um, George Mueller and all these awesome missionaries we hear about. That's not all of our calling. Qu- question is, what are you going to do with what God has given you? And can I just say this? The gains of heaven will more than compensate for the losses on earth. The things you go through on earth, it's going to be worth it. Second Corinthians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, speaking of people who have been martyred and people who just are here right now who have gone through little. All of it is light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
Christians, be confident in this. Your walk with God is worth it. The, the trials you go through on earth are worth it. The things we go through are worth it. He is the one that we serve. He is the one who gives us his divine power to fulfill his promises on earth. And he uses us to spread the gospel for the known world. With the idea of mind of the persecuted church, guys, there are three billion people who have never heard the gospel before, never known the name of Jesus. Their eternity isn't secure without Jesus Christ. You must be born again to be saved. We have to remember this. We must have the right foundation to build a life of Christ on. The right foundation being the word of God, being your prayer, being your church family, being in church, fellowshipping with one another, serving your family, your friends, strangers, loved ones. Because if we don't have the right foundation, things, things can get wrong. You guys ever heard of the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa? The tower in, I think it's Rome or something. Italy. It's, oh, it's in Pisa? Is that actually? Oh, that's funny. Um, you know, it's, it's leaning, right? Now, I think the builders would have, might have not built there if they understood what Pisa meant. Pisa means marshy ground. Pisa is marshy ground. The city was named that because of its marshy ground. So that's why the tower is leaning, and it's leaning, and I think it leans like a quarter centimeter every year. It leans more. And then they just redid it a couple, a while ago, where they fixed it a little bit, and they said by 2030 it's going to fall. Here's the thing. It's going to fall at some point. But here's what we have as Christians. is on Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you that we have solid ground to stand on, Lord, that we're not waiting anywhere, that we're not struggling, Lord, through this life, not knowing what to do, completely lost. And if we are, Lord, we know that you're going to give us the answers in your time. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Help us to seek those things out. Help us to to serve you, God, to be bond servants like Peter was, like Paul was, like John, like all the apostles who were martyred for you, Jesus. Help us to live a life that's glorifying to you. Lord, I pray for anybody in here who's not a believer, anybody listening online who's not a believer, that you'd save them, that you'd prepare them, God. You'd change their hearts, turn them from darkness into light. Lord, many of us here who are saved remember that time when you showed up and you overflew our heart how amazing it was and how we couldn't help but share with others. And God, I pray for us believers here, Lord, maybe some of us have lived long Christian lives doing nothing. Lord, thank you that Romans 8.1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, you're not here to condemn us, but to, to push us, Lord, towards you, closer to you. Pray for those who have that, no matter how old or young we are, that we would grow towards you, Jesus, that we pursue you. For us in here who are younger believers, God, that we would grow on the right foundation. We'd start strong on, in, in the foundation of your word, through prayer, God, through church and fellowship. Thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. Thank you that you have precious promises and the power, your divine power inside of us. May you help us with anything we need. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.